Welcome to season four of Outstanding Women Leaders, Witty and Wise Conversations. I'm your host, Katie L. Leeds, founder and chief owl at Outstanding Women Leaders Professional Coaching and Podcast, an organization dedicated to empowering women in leadership, relationships, and life. Owl is on a mission to host 100 million Witty and Wise Conversations that inspire you, disrupt the way leaders think, and stir your soul into action. That inspiration begins with a set of rules to guide our conversation today. Nobody gets to be wrong. Nobody gets to be right. Everybody gets to be vulnerable. And rule number four, my favorite, everything is included. This conversation is exactly what it needs to be in this moment in time. We do not edit here. We've asked our guests to join us via video to allow us to create authentic connection. Eyes are the window to the soul. You will be seen here. You'll be heard. There is space for you. When this conversation comes to a close, I will ask our guest three questions. If you've tuned in before, you know what they are. <clears throat> if you haven't, you don't want to miss them. But enough about me. Today, I'm excited to welcome outstanding women leader, Yulrike Simonati, a highly regarded coach and consultant, bringing a wealth of experience as a former C-level executive to her expertise in authentic leadership and impactful communication. By blending the latest self-development methodologies with her extensive practical knowledge of corporate communications, she enables leaders to establish trust and credibility through effective communication. Yulrik's experience extends beyond her CCA certification as a coach. She has a deep understanding of how to lead effectively across hierarchies and diverse cultural backgrounds. Her clients benefit from her pragmatic and user-friendly tools that enable them to make lasting improvements. Welcome. I'm so excited to dive in. I want to hear all about your corporate C-level background and how that you know led you into coaching others. Yeah, thank you, first of all, for having me and for your wonderful introduction, not only of myself, but of your podcast. I love it. It's fantastic. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, so how did I get into my C-level role, first of all? I started as a secretary, actually, in the beginning of my career, and I really climbed up all this career ladder. And if somebody had told me in my early years that I would reach the C-level, I would have thought, you are crazy. <laughs> Never, ever. Because I couldn't see myself in there. I wasn't brought up with the idea that I could do that, never. But I I somehow, well, got into it because I was always a high achiever, a high performer, because I was a horrible perfectionist and still am. I manage it a bit differently <laughs> these days. But in the past, I wasn't so aware that I was so much driven by my perfectionism. And so logically, yes, I achieved great results and I was lucky enough that these results were seen. And so I got into a C-level role one day, which I held for three years. Um, I was a corporate communications leader all my life and had a C-level role as a corporate communications leader, which is very special because that is very rare that organizations offer this as a C-level position. And um, when when I was in this role on this very high level, well, first of all, for me personally, it was quite a stretch mentally because I felt like the biggest imposter of all of the world. <laughs> it was like, what? How can I be here? I should not be discovered. <laughs> so typically, yeah, the more I the more my career grew, the more my imposter syndrome was growing as well. Um, but what I realized then as well that it's so important 
that we humanize the workplace more, that there's more empathy, more stepping into the shoes of other people, that leaders start to communicate with the heart and in a different way than they do right now. And many leaders just don't really communicate at all apart from the absolute necessary stuff. And people are very frustrated in organizations. They really suffer from that. And so at the end of this, uh, when the third CEO came in actually, <laughs> and the third CFO as well, I thought, okay, I think now it's time for a change. And to go for this vague dream that I had in my mind already for a few years to create something on my own. And it became clear that it has to be something around combining personal development or self-development with communication and leadership skills and to connect it to the corporate workplace, to make a difference there, to help leaders to create a difference for themselves and their teams. And this is how I then started going off, having... Quite a hard start because I was very optimistic, but it's not turning out to be very easy, obviously. Yeah, so it takes quite some time to build that, um, to have clients, especially to have corporate clients as well who trust you. And um, and this is where I am today. So today I'm providing these mostly communication-oriented trainings, but I'm always focusing on the doing on the one side, but also on the being on the other side. It's not just a skills training. The typical training is a skills training. Even when it comes to leadership, it's about skills. How can leadership be a skill? Leadership is, is from human to human. It's a true connection that mm -hmm. needs to happen. About building trust. How can that be a skill? It's it's in your heart, you know, it's in your being. So there's this thing where I really work with people on first understanding who they actually are. And what they show and what they don't show. There are so many blind spots that most leaders have because they're just running like crazy in their hamster wheel and have no time to reflect on that or think they have no time. And that is what I'm doing today so to, to change that paradigm. What an incredible story from secretary to C-level to uh, corporate coaching. Uh, and who better than a secretary who really understands people and dynamics and being able to support people from behind these are, you know, I, what I see in leadership oftentimes is people that don't know how to be a leader behind. They don't know how to support someone uh, without just yanking them by the collar and taking them along for the ride. So you, uh, I love the imposter that you bring to this of, of making your way up in communications and now bringing it from a coaching perspective. I couldn't agree more. You know, uh, there are skills that we have. We're so focused on theory. What are the skills I need to close? What skill do I need here? I need you to help develop the skill where we need to just practice the theory. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely right. Because I, I was also kind of, kind of person, person who is reading tons of books. Yeah, what you oh, can yeah. do different, you can think differently. But as long as you don't practice, it's worth nothing. And that's what I tell my clients as well. It's not knowledge that is power. It's only applied knowledge that is power. You need to do something with that. And only then you can have a change in yourself, have new experiences. And by this, grow and shape your true self so that well it's not true your true self is kind of shaped but showing it how learning how you can stand up for who you truly are and not this corporate persona that most people bring to work every day yeah i always say that uh knowledge on on ice is better is uh worse than ignorance on fire <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's from a fortune cookie and i've shared that with clients i'm like that's so profound i'm like well i got it at my fortune last night but, um, you know, knowledge, we need that to be to be brought forward and also in the emptying of your knowledge. You know, that's the wisdom when you empty it and you go practice. 
How do pra- people practice being confident? How do people practice being assertive? I know this is an area that you support people with. Yeah. The different tip types, oh, that's a really good question and it's a very complicated one because if, if it was simple, people would be very confident, but they aren't. So I think, first of all, it's really about understanding if it's a lack of confidence that you have. Mm-hmm. Many people think it's a lack of confidence that they have in themselves, whereas they might have just a lack of self-worth and it's a difference. It's not the same thing. If you're not confident that you're capable of doing something, then you have no confidence maybe in yourself. But if you have a lack of self-worth, you 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 kind of know that you can do it without problems, actually. But somehow you don't do it because you feel like maybe this creates too much visibility for you and you're not worth of this visibility. So something else is holding you back. And depending on if it's more self-worth or self-confidence, it's a very different approach. So when it comes to self-confidence, the approach is more around making experiences where you step out of your comfort zone, learn to be uncomfortable, learn that you will not die when you make one step out of your comfort zone, then make two, then make three, and then do maybe something really big that is really scary. But don't do that right from the start. You won't be able. And by this learning that you, you can do that and learning to manage that feeling of fear, making that step and just going out. Sometimes I always say, and I have read that years ago, that think about how many seconds of courage it takes you to say something, this this famous step out of comfort zone or to do something. And usually it takes like five seconds or two, something like that. But we ruminate for weeks about that. So we, <laughs> we are afraid in the stage of anxiety for two weeks because of two seconds of, of courage that we need to make a step. So it's really about experiencing things and then learning that when you promise yourself tomorrow, I will do this, do it. Because if you do not keep your word, you diminish your confidence again. So it's really about growing step by step and being very reliable to yourself in this process. That's when it when it comes to confidence. It's very different. Mm, when it comes there's, to a tru- there's a trust that has to be there in yourself when you're confident. Yeah. And I often talk to clients about where what don't you trust about you? When we're talking yeah. about confidence, do you, what don't you trust about taking that next step? And they don't trust that they'll be perfect. Well, great. Authenticity isn't perfect. And often, <laughs> and you're right, we're not here to be Jesus. So if you're, if you want to be in often, authenticity is a huge motivator for people. People do want to be authentic. What if their authentic self does have a lack of self-worth? That's, I love that you pulled those two apart. I, I love what, what's your approach if it's at the root of self-worth, not self-confidence. The approach is that you learn to acknowledge what you create throughout a day. Just acknowledge that and really track it down. Because we are so great in memorizing where we failed throughout the day and to tell ourselves off, but we rarely really acknowledge ourselves for the small things. We do that for big ones and then then all the negative voices take over anyway, if you don't take care, they do it automatically. That's how the ego usually works. But when it comes to really learning who you are and you want to even to really feel better for a week, just try that out for a week. It's really amazing. And you write down every, every evening, everything you acknowledge yourself for and what you have created, not in terms of materials, maybe there are materials can be, but more in terms of emotions in yourself and also potentially in others. But also in yourself, that's worthy enough. If you created some joy or some pride or some enthusiasm, something you feel good about yourself, that's a great creation. 
But if we do not have that sense of self-worth, we don't think that this is worthy, but why should it? Because it's just about us. So you need to change that way of thinking about it. And acknowledging it by writing it down makes a huge difference. And if you do that for a week, you will see throughout one day, you will have five, 10, 15 things you will, you will write down. And by writing them down every day, you will feel better and better and realize, wow, I'm actually great. I'm worth it. I deserve to be seen as someone who is competent or who's contributing with valuable insights or whatever you're doing. You, you will see that there's so much more in you than what you allow yourself to see or have allowed yourself to see. So mm. That's really great advice. I love that. Uh, we talked a little bit before we came on here about communicating um, with impact and being very impactful with our communication. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how do we be impactful? Because everybody wants to be a better communicator. Uh, and I love whenever I ask clients, you know, what do you think is the best is, how do you know someone's a great communicator? And no one ever says listening. <laughs> and then, and that's how I know. <laughs> I shouldn't say no one. I've had one person, actually one amazing client who said, keep listening. I'm like, this is why I loved working with that client because he always knew how to communicate well. Yeah, exactly. And that's why what I say as well. If, if if you had asked me the question that way, like what is the one single thing that you need to change in your communication? If you just change one, then I would say, yeah, it's listening. Learn finally to listen and not to listen to reply or to ask a question because then you're not listening anymore. Listen to just understand and you need to have the courage that there might be a gap afterwards because you might not have the question bam on hand or the answer. Mm -hmm. You might have to see for two or three seconds and that seems pretty long, feels very long, but it's worth it. Just listen to understand, try that out once. And if you want to check yourself or test yourself, if you're listening for understanding, paraphrase what you have heard, try to repeat it in your own words. That's a good exercise because if you want to do this, you will listen more carefully and you will find out also if you actually understood rightly, because when you rephrase, at least half of the time, the other person will correct you and will say, yeah, that's nearly it, but, and they will say it slightly differently. And you will realize, oh my God, all the things that I, that I misunderstand actually without realizing it, because I never paraphrase. I, I think what I understood is what I understood and that's it. And that is the whole point about communication as as such, but especially in corporations, we have that problem that there are a ton of misunderstandings out there because people assume that they have understood. And those who send out the message, no matter if it's vocal or an email or something, believe that their message is clear and it can only be understood. <laughs> and in 70% of the cases, it's misunderstood. And that is the, the first thing, I think. But then the second that is that is at equally important, and it has to do with listening, because only then you can even get to that stage, is that you communicate never from your own lens, and that you make this effort of communicating from the lens of the other person or the group in front of you. And if it's a mixed group of people, well, you have to have mixed lenses. <laughs> makes it more complicated. <laughs> but really I, yeah, that's really important because you know we are I was going to ask you a little bit later on about coaching people with different cultural backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So and I, I have had clients that are like, so who which person do I speak at to in the room if there's people from all over? I'm like, you speak to all of them. <laughs> and so when you have all the the lens of all these other people, what are your tips for how do you would speak to everybody if you have 10 different lenses in the room? 
you, you really take care of thinking about who actually is in the room. Do I know? If you don't know them, you have a hard time. That's clear. Then you need to fully rely on your intuition. And some people have a good intuition if people are listening or angry or whatever, but some don't. But if you know the people in the room, more or less, you know who they are and you know how they act. And if they don't, then maybe try to get to know them first. If it's an important meeting, for example, or ask others what's important for that person, what kind of person that is. Just try to sense their personality styles, actually. And um, you will hear that in the bonus <laughs> when we speak about the limbic brain and these kind of inner drivers that people have. Try to sense what are their inner drivers and also try to know what they're interested in at work. You know, what is their agenda? Not that hidden agenda because you have no clue what the hidden agenda is, but they have goals, these, these people. They, they're here for a reason and some of them are very highly motivated towards something. So you need to think about how to address that. When we shape our presentations or speeches or, or speaking meetings, we usually only think about, okay, I have to achieve this goal. This is why I put the arguments into my presentation and that's how I present it. And then some people buy in, some buy in partly, some don't buy in at all because it's not compelling to them. So we really need to think who is in that room, especially when it's an important meeting where this is like an approval committee for you. You really need to think about that. And you need to give, if you have four arguments, Try to get into if there are four different personality styles and overall there are four tendency of personality styles, whatever model you use. Um, try to cover something for all of them, that they have a hook, something that is interesting for them. And then you just speak to all, yeah? But delivering mixed messages, yes, for sure. But they can go along one, one red thread, one main theme actually, which you have, which is what you want mm. to achieve. I like that you mentioned the theme. Yeah. My coaching is always around, well, how do you want to make this audience feel? Because no matter what their individual agendas are, their individual backgrounds, their individual interests, uh, Maya Angelou, I think left us with the beautiful quote, which is people don't remember what you said. They remember how you made them feel. Exactly. And if you're trying to get someone to say yes on your presentation, then there's some particular feelings that you're going to want to elicit and in them in order to take them along for the ride. So back to the, if you tune into the bonus episode, you'll hear all about why emotions are important. And if you're focusing on how do I want them to feel in the first 10 minutes? How do I want them to feel in the first 30 seconds? How do I want them to feel at minute 20? How do I want them to feel at minute 40? The feelings are universal. And, you know, culturally we do, our, our brain is shaped and impacted by our culture, but those emotions are pretty universal. And that's, I think, what you found as well, coaching so internationally as you just naturally do in Zurich. Um, and in the United States, I get the opportunity. I'm at, I'm in the East Coast time zone. So I, I'm in the, I am in a time zone where I'm enough to be able to get all of the United States and I can get most of India and uh, Europe into my time zone schedule as well. Um, and what I found is that uh, the emotions are still the same. I can show up to a 7 a.m. India call and all of a sudden I'm processing really heavy emotions with yeah. someone who just got a diagnosis of a daughter with autism or some like these are things that every human experience ha uh, has. Uh, what's your coaching around? How do you assert yourself while also feeling these emotions that we just talked about? How do you stay grounded? How do you stay in? A listening when you're feeling emotions you mean when you feel your own emotions yes yeah when you're feeling your own 
Yeah. You need to find out what that is. You know, it's always about what is, what is triggering me right now? Why am I so triggered by that? I recently had a client. He was he was one of these over-emotional guys because he was over-motivated. He was always thinking beyond his own area. And he, he was this, this entrepreneur that people want to have in corporate organizations who really thinks about the organization as such, who thinks big picture and all great. But it made him super emotional. And he said he was working in a finance area. I was often criticized or not seen as a mature leader because of that. So how can I control this thing? Yeah, mm. <laughs> that's the question. And, um, and I said, first of all, it's not about controlling it. It's rather about using it for to your own favor, you know, and better understanding, canalizing these emotions in a way, because this is also a strength, obviously, if you have a strong passion, well, you can create enthusiasm and buy-in with people easier than someone who hasn't. So first of all, don't lose it. That's very important. But then I wanted him also to check his feelings. So if you're getting sometimes too emotional about something or something really triggers you, Try to find a hook in a completely different situation where you're very calm, for example. If we compare now being super excited and being super, super calm, try to just think about something else and, and do and try that out once. If you're in a meeting and you're getting overly emotional and it's not like your life is depending on now, now making a comment and you can just say nothing and concentrate a little bit on yourself and reflect a bit in this in this very moment. Think about a situation where you were calm and you have to prepare that situation in your mind before. If not, it will not be handy in this moment. So connect to it and just like fly away, fly out of that meeting room, go somewhere else for 10 seconds or 30. Just like, oh, I'm not here. Calm down, breathe in. Breathing is very, very important. <laughs> Many good breathing techniques, which you can Google to just get down a little bit. And then just if you don't have to say something, it's really a good exercise to find out how do I feel now? How do, how do I feel now? If, what does this to me? Is it is it now about still being super triggered or can I already? Ah, now you're back. Yeah. I was yeah. <laughs> Why did I stop? <laughs> yeah. So if you're are and, and we got everything. So when you if you are being triggered, you know, a couple takeaways there of really focusing on your breath. I think a lot of um the prepping in advance as well of recognizing, you know, where do I want to leave my mind for a second in this meeting if I need to. I also really yeah. like the authenticity of bringing to a meeting of just naming what's happening for you internally. Because if it's happening for you internally, it may be happening for other people. And um, and sometimes we we self-manage emotions that need to be said, simply just stating, um, you know, what's trying to happen here is X, Y, Z. What's actually happening is I'm feeling frustrated. I need and um and I'm not useful right now being frustrated. Just being able to sometimes claim it. And that's a very bold statement to say. We can't do it in every single meeting. Um, but in the times that we can, it's very authentic because you're probably naming an emotion that someone else is experiencing as well. Yeah. Yeah. And if you keep coming back to the same thing over and over, people are feeling emotions about it. So sometimes just inviting those emotions to the table, all of a sudden it's like, oh, we can see them and we can clear them out and now we can move forward. 
Um, so communication is clearly a, a superpower for you, uh, so to speak, some, as we start to, to wrap up here. And um, there was something else that you talked about that I wanted to go back to uh, a little bit was, you know, you talked about paraphrasing and listening. I think listening is just such key for communication. And oftentimes I'll hear clients say, I hate when someone just says back to me my own words. And I love to help invite clients to use a metaphor. Use, mm -hmm. you know, an example, an analogy, something that sounds similar to check. And I think this is what makes coach coaches such great listeners. I'm not attached to being right to what I heard. I'm not even sure if what I heard is right. I'm just going to throw it out to you at like a ball. And then you're going to roll that ball back to me. And it's either going to say, yes, I got it here. Yes, I almost did. But here's a little bit. You know, do you have any exercises for people to get better at paraphrasing so that we're not just parroting? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, good question. What could be a good exercise? I think what you say about the metaphors is actually reframing uh, the whole situation. And you can train yourself on creating metaphors for people can be complicated. I'm using that in my communications trainings too, because it's very powerful in presentations as well. Yeah, it's a bit, mm -hmm. it feels like more of a kind of storytelling when you, when you come along with a big metaphor for your whole presentation, for example. But, um, and they also ask me, how can I find that? How can I find that? And uh, it's not that easy, but I think you can start with uh, small things first. First of all, many people think they don't, they're not able to do that. And while they're saying that, they often use a metaphor like, oh, no, I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel for this. And I said, what did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> you can find metaphors because you speak in them. We all use some of the very common ones all the time. That's a metaphor. We don't even realize that, but it's one. So now just think about what do you want to, what do you want to say? And, um, and try to find a metaphor in the things that you're planning to say, because there you can plan a little bit with your head and train yourself. So if it's something, for example, that it's about moving, yeah, then think about metaphors, which are moving up, moving things like boats, ships, cars, planes, I don't know what, something like that. And compare it like, uh, I don't know, when we... We are like a sailboat in the wind. It's very shaky these days, but um, I know we will get into clear waters once we come across this whatever place. That's how you can make a metaphor out of a difficult phase in a project, for example. And people will relate to that much more than to saying, oh, I know we're in a difficult phase, but when we come across this milestone, it will be better. They won't feel anything coming back to create emotions. If you speak about a sailboat, they have emotions automatically. But learning that, I think learning, you can only do it when you when you know what you want to say. For example, you present a presentation or prepare a presentation. Ideal moment to weave in some metaphors and try to find some. And the more you do that, the more spontaneously you can deliver that when paraphrasing spontaneously, because suddenly you have that, that way of thinking differently, the way of thinking in images. And you can do it with everything in your life. And you can say, hey, every day for, for one situation, I will try to describe it in a metaphor. Maybe you write them down so that it's even better anchored in your brain. And by this, you just learn it. Like you said before, experience it. <laughs> mm, yeah, I, I, this is a skill set that I'm just naturally very, very, very good at. So it's interesting to hear you talk through a little bit, some ideas for people that this is not one of their natural skills. And I always love the default uh, for people that struggle with metaphor. If you're going to go back to that tunnel, uh, for example, is that if someone's describing something to you, if it was a movie, what would the images be on the cover? What would the title be? 
what, who would the char- characters be? And so then when someone is done with their speaking, you can give them like, okay, so if that was a movie, then the title, you know, then it would, this title would be here. And what we want to do is have this title here. So a compare contrast is another one that I also talk to people about and metaphors as well. If someone is trying to explain a situation and what's trying to happen, what's not happening, paraphrasing back, giving them two separate metaphors to compare. Um, but that's something, yeah, it's something naturally that I do that I always am like, hmm, how do you teach someone to be good at metaphor? This is just how my brain works. <laughs> uh, so, so a wealth of knowledge and communication. Thank you so much for sharing uh, all your knowledge with us. You know, I have my three questions at the end of the show I always ask. So we'll start with the first one. What's your superpower? My superpower is about creating energy, having energy and creating energy in mm. people. Creating energy. What's your purpose? My purpose is to humanize the workplace by bringing true, authentic human beings to the table. <laughs> humanizing the workplace. What a novel concept. <laughs> I, I will not finish this in my whole life, but at least I want to make a contribution around that. And what's next for you? What is what for me? What's next for you? Ah, next. Oh, oh, next. I am trying to get my my feet into Dubai and the Emirates because I have seen a lot of potential there in terms of humanizing the workplace, first of all, but also helping helping women to show their power because there are so many qualified women. But from comes back to your intercultural thing, from an intercultural perspective, even though the Emirates are fostering women in the workplace and they have a lot of ministers who are women, for example, still many women do not believe that they have their own inner glass ceiling. And I would like to mm. make an impact there. Mm, the own inner glass ceiling. We could have talked for an entire show about the inner glass ceiling that we put on ourselves. Uh, you bring such a, a wide cultural perspective as well to the conversation around communication. You know, talking about the brain, every every culture has the same brain, uh, and we do. Sh- it's shaped differently based on where we're at, and all of us have our own inner glass ceiling, and then we just create these outer reasons why it's there. Um, but it's there because we've created it internally. We um, there was a woman on my podcast, Mer- Merlene Chisholm, who said. There is no uh, outer conflict without inner conflict first. Yeah. What a great place to go next is Dubai. Uh, That's great. I love that. I always give my guests the last word on the show. So I'll leave you with the last minute to share whatever you'd like to leave our guests with today. So who we spoke about so many things. It's hard to to choose one. I think, I think the biggest message is just really reconnect to your heart and follow that one because everything is like you say, it's created on the inside, whatever you create in there shows on the outside, even when it comes to communication, it's not a skill. It's a way of being and connecting to this inner being instead of getting more qualifications, more skills and more training and more this and that. that's where you have to start and that will make a difference and everything else will just fall on fruitful ground 